Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Jonathan All. When Washington University neurosurgeons Albert Kim and Eric Luthart aren't teaching, researching, and performing surgery, they often think of creative ways to get information about the brain and its complexities to the masses, such as co-hosting their Brain Coffee podcast. Another one of their endeavors is putting together a live theater experience showcasing the wonders of the brain. Their BrainWorks production dramatizes real-life neurological cases to help explain the science behind the brain and its potential diseases such as Alzheimer's, epilepsy, brain tumors, and strokes. The series event is a collaboration between the Washington University School of Medicine, Barnes Jewish Hospital, and the Nine Network of Public Media. It will take place at the Loretto Hilton Center for the Performing Arts on the campus of Webster University. I recently sat down with both doctors Luthart and Kim and began by asking them exactly what is BrainWorks all about. Here's Dr. Luthart. So BrainWorks is really a new genre where we're combining the, I think, the, the wonderment of the brain with the very human experience of kind of human stories. So essentially talking about and experiencing the neuroscience of how the brain works, but seeing that really through all different dimensions, through human dimensions, through storytelling, through really visual media and entertainment. So I, I think that's absolutely right. So I really think it's, uh, it's a marriage between theater and, and medical knowledge science. And uh, in, the, in, in the way I mean that is uh, not that it, we're doing a lecture or something boring like that, nor that it's some really heavy stuff about human disease and suffering, but this is a, pr- a production that is educational, but it should be entertaining, dynamic, and fun. poignant. Yeah, it should be fun. In many ways, we say it's, it's somewhere in between a TED Talk and Cirque du Soleil without us wearing tights <laughs> or, or, or or acrobatics yeah right exactly <laughs> maybe yeah maybe tights for him but yeah no tights for me <laughs> so where did the idea of trying to advance the understanding of a science through art I mean it's certainly not a totally new idea but where did the, it come from for your particular areas of specialty and research and understanding yeah it, it really started with a conversation yeah, right? that's you know, right. So Albert and I are good buddies, and we love to kind of go back and forth on just things that we love to think about. I mean, yeah, we both love the brain, but we love different aspects of it. I right. mean, in many cases, common aspects. But mm-hmm. for instance, as an example, uh, our science, uh, I'm interested in molecules, so really small nano things. And, and uh, Eric is, is interested in networks, brain networks and machines. And yeah, so I do brain-computer brain computer interfaces, and, and Albert does the molecules and the, and the drugs. Right, and so we're, but we're both interested sort of intrinsically in, in how the brain works, and that was kind of how it started. We just geek out about it all the time. All the time. <laughs> and, right. and we wanted to bring that to other people. That's really what it is. We I, want to bring people into the conversation. We, we definitely like breaking down stereotypes here on St. Louis on the Air, and both of you two don't sound like brain scientists. You sound much more relaxed and fun. And oh, yeah. so, so humor, how does that That's play into... That's too bad, actually. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. right. <laughs> what is, what is, what is, uh, how does humor play into brain works and to what you do? Well, th- I think you really touch on an important point. Humor is really an important way of... Uh, connecting on a very human level. When you can laugh together, then you really feel comfortable with that person that you're laughing with. And so in creating BrainWorks, we really created something where people really explore the full gamut of emotions. For instance, uh, there's a lot of things in there that are funny. There's a lot of things that really will make you uh, laugh out loud. But there's also, you know, quite poignant moments where it really uh, that there's sad moments or, or intense moments. And I think as you can really speak to somebody on those emotional levels, 
that really allows them to integrate the information that they're getting. Yeah, that's right. It, I mean, there's some neuroscience to learning. You know, people hear about the fact that, for instance, if you're learning some lesson, uh, that some intense emotion might actually uh, burn that in your brain, so to speak. And so actually, I think it's receiving this kind of neuroscience knowledge in this kind of venue where there's poignant, intense emotional episodes and funny episodes, by the way, uh, maybe helps you to learn it. The, the brain does a lot of um, rather routine things that, that are, are boring, <laughs> I mean, but necessary uh, you know, keeping us alive and, mm -hmm. you know, monitoring breathing and things like that. But it seems like the, the part of the brain activity that we are most intrigued with is the thing that goes to emotions, to mental health, to some of these more complicated things. When you look at the brain in its totality, how do you separate all of that out or do you just kind of mush it all together in one, this is the awesome things that your brain does? Well, actually, that's a good, uh, that's a really good point. We tend to talk about the more human aspects of the brain mm -hmm. in the BrainWorks pro production, but I like how you broke that up. So we do think about the brain that way in, in sort of different, more primitive terms and also more sort of high level sophisticated terms. So for us, and, and please interrupt me yeah, yeah, if I'm course. wrong here, uh, Eric, we think about the brain stem and that's like sort of the lowest part, the most primitive evolutionary part of our brain. Our reptile brain. Yeah, exactly. That's what a lot of people call it. And that controls things like our heart, like our heart rate, our breathing, uh, digestion, things like that. Things that we just have to, uh, to, to rely on to keep our bodies ticking. And then we have higher levels. One of those, it's slightly less primitive, is the limbic or emotional area. And, and right. Eric has a lot of knowledge about this particular area. That's in common with the, uh, with the lower animals, but, uh, but there still is, um, you know, sort of a very human element to that, obviously. Right, with so emotion. even like some of the most primitive animals or, or mammals, uh, have uh, emotional experiences like fear and Scared hunger. of snakes, for instance. Yeah, right. And so, and I think what's interesting, then we get to the higher level, right. which is, you know, the things we ascribe to human kind of notions like awareness, self-awareness, decisions, rational uh, uh, logic. Executive uh, function, strategy, you yeah. know. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing about it, though, is when we really get into kind of putting this all together when we think about ourselves, that each of these layers plays a role in our human experience. Meaning, that's right. Kind of, you know, like that that you know deep brain, reptilian brain. That notion and those notions of fear can strongly influence how you make decisions. They can strongly influence uh, whether you make the right decisions or what direction that you go. And so, and they're all and but how you, but also your higher level cognition can influence your emotions. And it goes back and forth. We really, our minds are really this composition of our evolutionary biology, yeah. which is really cool. These are evolutionary conflicts that allowed us to survive all these years. Yeah. So I'm I'm grateful that my brain keeps me breathing and keeps me. I'm grateful without thinking for that, about it. Without right. Thinking about right. It. But I'm intrigued as to why it makes me cry three different times during F Toy Story 4. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> so, I mean, is that is that an easy answer to that, or is that just scratching the surface of how complicated our brain is and kind of some of the things you want people to walk away from BrainWorks thinking about? You'll definitely connect on those moments. Uh, so, for instance... We're really, we talk a lot about emotions. We talk a lot about the connection of things where emotion, memory, and things like smell kind of all run together, right? And so you were talking about Toy Story 4. They, a lot of these animated stories are exceptionally good at capitalizing on experiences that really tap into these primitive motifs that cause you to have uh, emotional responses, these feelings of connectedness, separate, you know, separation, things that, you know, uh, 
you know, kind of issues that we experience as children, for instance, that are quite profound, those bring us back. And again, if we experience a memory, a lot of times we experience an emotion, hence the crying with Toy Story 4. I mean, it's really the neuroscience of nostalgia is what you're talking about. And and in Toy Story 4, or, you know, I was just watching Spider-Man Far From Home and I was kind of bawling actually in the end of it. <laughs> I mean, that that is a sort of a visi- visible and sort of contextual reference to maybe something you had felt when you were younger. You know, we talk about this a little in this new play. Smells are really good at that. So smells yeah. have direct connections to uh, to our memory and emotional centers, like direct, in a way that our other senses don't. Our other senses are sort of filtered that's through right. the system. That's, yeah, that's our thalamus. Yeah. For instance, the, these egg-shaped organs in the center of our brain that really filter a lot of the sensory input coming in, sight, sounds, touch, that's all filtered. Smell is not filtered. So, so you know, when pe- people are trying to sell a house, and, you know, I know Eric moved recently, and that was maybe a little painful, but there's some <laughs> right, other aspects right. of it that are interesting. Like, you know, when you're trying to show your house to people, you want to have an apple, bread in the yeah, kitchen. or have an apple pie, like a fresh apple pie sitting there on the dining table because that reminds somebody about when they were young, you know, having mama's, you know, apple pie or something like that. A good feeling. Unless they are, had some trauma in their childhood that was apple pie related. True. Well, then they would not buy the house. Maybe their father was hurt by apple pies. That's right. Yeah, That's right. possible. Trauma-related apple pie would be a great band name. So when, 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 you, when, when people come out of BrainWorks, what do you hope that they think or feel? Well, what is the goal? How do you define success when someone comes out of BrainWorks? That's a great question. Yeah, I, I think th- two things for me yeah. is one, they share Albert and my wonderment for the brain. We just think it is such an amazingly cool thing. And, it, and how kind of our, our understanding of it plays a role in every moment of our life. That's one. Two, I think if we can get people to connect with the human stories of certain disease states, whether it be Alzheimer's or brain tumor, or epilepsy, or stroke, that they are better informed and they can be better and more informed patients in the future. No, I, I completely agree with that. And, and just getting a, doing a deeper dive on that first thing he was talking about, again, the, this whole thing started because, again, we were giving some, some lectures sort of on the circuit in the community. And it used to be just one-on-one, sort of us again and the, the, the audience. And a PowerPoint then, presentation. Yeah, and, you know, PowerPoint lecture format, um, not even like a dynamic, like a TED Talk. But then someone, I don't know who thought of it, actually, but somebody thought of putting us together. Well, it was, and, we, yeah. were, we were both deciding who was going to do the next oh, one. And oh, I that's think, right. That's and right. We didn't, we both didn't want to do it because it was boring. We so, didn't, and then we didn't want to insult the other person. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so we agreed we, to do it together. And then so, you know, it, there's a lot of banter going on in that first one we did, a lot of back and forth. He's making fun of me. I'm making fun of him. And then we come out of that and people responded to it well. In fact, one guy and one of the guys who uh, helped make the first BrainWorks possible said, oh, you guys should take that on Broadway. And we're like, yeah, whatever. That's, <laughs> right, <laughs> that's right. funny. But that was really the beginning of it. So it again, it's back to this idea of, uh, uh, of Eric and myself, you know, geeking out, having a conversation, and then bringing people in on it. I think that was that I want people to feel that, that that right. same sense of wonderment. And also feel that th- this stuff, you know, whether it be us as brain surgeons or the science that we're studying is not on some pedestal. It's not unknowable. It's not something, oh my goodness. It's not like it's brain surgery. Right, right, right. (laughs) But it is is relatable. It's connectable. People can understand this. And we've, Albert and I, and you know, if you know, with our actors and with the media that we create, and 
we really worked literally for years to make this something that is accessible to anyone. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, this is, you don't have to have a PhD to come yeah. to this, uh, to this uh, show. It's really meant for everyone and so that they can kind of tour this magic world that we get so excited about. Yeah, and it's not only through sort of these explanations we have. And, and again, those are closer to the old style lecture format that right, we're right. trying to avoid. But it's really multimedia. So we have a lot of metaphors. We have you know props. We have digital media. Uh, sort of all that converging to help us explain these complex things. And and I think the stories and the actors, because in many ways, theater is about empathy, you know, connecting with people on a very emotional, deep level. And that's when good theater, when you have good stories with people who are really good actors, you know, convey the very human side of this. And, and you I feel that that's why, I mean, that's why you're crying during Toy Story 4. Mm-hmm. You feel you're even what these toys are feeling. So that that's, yeah, that's something we're trying to, uh, we're trying to accomplish here with this. For a long time now, uh, STEM has been part of our vernacular. We talk about science, technology, engineering, mm-hmm. math, um, as the importance of knowing more and developing more in terms of education, jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Arts folks have been trying to insert themselves into that for a while. So they kind of are trying to make STEM into STEAM hmm. and throw <laughs> arts into that. How important is having that artistic performance-based piece like what you're doing in terms of having a better community-wide understanding of STEM? I think it's profoundly important yeah, for it's a really couple important. reasons. I mean, we have kids and. I can tell you, my daughter, for instance, is really interested in science and math, and I just want to get her even more pumped up about it. So it's a very important topic you're bringing up. Yeah, and I think actually the two are really important together. So you know, myself, you know, we're, we're obviously doing, Albert and I are doing something artistic, but I think <coughs> that in addition to the importance of communicating STEM, that the arts and that fundamental process of communication and creativity strengthens and makes STEM better. You know, again, just as background, you know, I wrote two fiction novels, and and I think that the ability to kind of really imagine and uh, um, kind of think outside the box actually helped the science that I do, right? By thinking about the future and thinking about, you know, kind of what if, that allows me a, a stronger capacity to really kind of build towards that future. So I think the more you can get people imagining through things like the arts, the better we off we are in the future. I mean, it it also has to do with communicating persuasively, right, and with clarity. And I'm not I'm am not saying all art should be obvious and you know linear and things like that at all. But I mean, there is definitely an element here where we had to make our thoughts simpler. We had to simplify our thinking in many ways to be able to transmit everything. That's right, 100 percent in a performance. You know, um, and that certainly is still art. That's correct. Well, what about the assertion that you can have some phenomenally important discovery about synapses, for example? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you could go into incredible detail on the, you know, the way that the electrons fire and the way that synapses are created and connections are made. And, and all of that doesn't mean anything until you can explain to somebody, that's why you remembered this this way. Absolutely. But you don't remember that that way. You know, I, I think there's a deeper scientific meaning in actually what you said, and it's a conversation I had with another scientist, um, you know, uh, Dr. Hengen recently. Right, right, right. Uh, because I, I used to study synapses and dendrites actually earlier in my career. Uh, and it's, you know, when you think about how synapses work, people are saying, oh, maybe these molecules talk together and you have the uh, communication occurring over uh, two different neurons. You know, when you think about how we came to where we are, uh, evolution didn't work on the synapse. It works on your behavior. 
You know, so it has to produce a behavior in which your synapses are efficient enough for you to remember who you are and that that is a line in front of you and that you shouldn't go after it, you know. And so I think there's a bigger picture to what you're saying. There's like a, a deeper scientific meaning. It's not just you have to be able to explain what a synapse is and how what it works. Actually, that is the important question because uh, we have to know how that relates to our larger behavioral consequences. And that's, that's really the important thing about it anyway. Um, the, it sounds like this BrainWorks has been an evolutionary process to get to where it is right now. And there's more coming up, a TV show? That's right. So uh, the, uh, this, this play that we're, uh, it, that we're putting on is going to be filmed. And mm -hmm. I think it's going to be the core, some of the core media for a larger series to really explore the brain. And you're working with Nine Network. That's um, correct. That's right. That's yeah. right. So how, how does that feel to be, you know, you're reaching a lot of people now, but kind of flirting with the cusp of reaching a huge number of people. Thrilling. Yeah. I mean, exciting and scary. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. Exciting exactly. and scared. There's a song, you know, into the woods. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> In that, again, and that's the point here. We, we want to communicate how we think and the excitement we have with this. And we want to basically make people more informed patients. And so the more we can uh, really convey those messages on a, on a broader and broader format, I think we've done our job. And we didn't mind to make the, the, the play too dense. We didn't want to make it obscure, you know, just so much information packed in it. The TV show allows us to unpack it a little, go deeper into each of the diseases, maybe even talk about synapses, for instance, in one episode. Uh, but it gives us that freedom, you know. Can you give me an example of what somebody would learn from BrainWorks, because you talked about being a better patient. What could somebody learn from BrainWorks and how might that change their approach to their own uh, physical and mental health and their own interactions with their doctor? How would that, what would that look like for someone? Well, one, that, one example that comes to mind is sleep. And we this really- This is a great example. We talk about, uh, um, for instance, one of our stories is about uh, Alzheimer's. And we talk about really kind of what are some of the, uh, what causes Alzheimer's? What are some of the toxic proteins involved with Alzheimer's? And as it turns out, sleep plays a critical role in the maintenance of our brain function. It helps in clearing out those toxic proteins. And so getting good sleep is important as a really life maintenance tool to not just feeling good and being sane through the day, but to preserving your mind both in the present and the future. Right. So so controlling your cholesterol or something or or like controlling your high blood pressure. That's exactly right. It's, it's, the, it's equivalent. the same level of uh, as doing that is what we're saying sleep is. Yeah. It's it's so and and sometimes people, you know, kind of brag that they didn't get much sleep or they're, you know, working so hard and they're doing all this, but it's not getting good sleep is like being a smoker. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for your brain's health. And I think if we can drive that home and people, you know, have better and healthier sleep, we've really impacted the population. Now, there are other interesting aspects about sleep, which are a lot more speculative, like, okay, sure. So sleep is helping to remove toxins that might be related to, to dementia and other diseases and like that. But why exactly is it? Why that, do we sleep in the first yeah, place? Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, you know, when we were cavemen, we, we weren't living necessarily until 100 years old, for sure. I right, mean, right. we were usually 
dead by probably 2025 because of infectious disease. Mm -hmm. So what exactly was the point of sleep back well, then? The thing right? is, even yeast sleep, fruit flies sleep, everything throughout, you know, kind of the, the you know, the animal kingdom essentially sleeps. Except my daughter when she was four. She did not sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 12-year-old. Well, yeah. they, they sleep eventually. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that and well, eat their vegetables, yeah. yeah. So getting back to the, the performance, how did that collaboration work? I mean, we're was was there a science side and a performance side or did the science guys get involved in the performance and the performance people got involved in the science what did that collaboration look like it's been a whole crazy stew yeah, um, yeah. and it really has it, a I four mean, year stew yeah and it's it, where we really have cooked it up where it's been the combination of story creation where we've collaborated with some writers to get some like some of the core you know human elements we've inserted science then we kind of you know rehash and re iter iteratively uh, write and rewrite um but, you know, it, it really started with, uh, again, highlighting our conversation and having stories that people care about. That's right. And so we started with those hooks, right? And that's right. where we, when we got the playwrights involved. Right, and involved. We, we thought like, okay, for instance, what, what diseases should we even talk about? Yeah, right? right. You know, like what really matters from a brain level to kind of really create these stories? Well, we thought about thought about a whole panoply of stuff. Yeah, not only the four we mentioned. Again, I know uh, Eric mentioned these, but just as to mention yeah. them again, we talk about Alzheimer's disease, we talk about brain tumors, and uh, epilepsy, and stroke. Right, but and we are t considering a lot of others. There are a lot of other important diseases, obviously. Absolutely. Depression and things like that. But this gave us the best spread to cover as many elements of the brain right. from, a lot of, from a lot of different trajectories. And also some personal expertise. That's right. Right, That's you right. and me. Yeah, exactly. So Being we both have a lot of experience with brain tumors and epilepsy, right. uh, some degree some degree of stroke, and we're right. certainly familiar with Alzheimer's. To, to wrap up, can both of you say, tell me something how you feel your brain has improved by being involved in the BrainWorks project? That's a great <laughs> question. I love that. It's a very meta. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> well, certainly preparing for this play is, is the cognitive equivalent for us as doing an Ironman triathlon, meaning <laughs> that the preparation that it takes, for instance, I think we've got around 120 pages to memorize yeah. down cold. And that really training your brain to really memorize, to remember something word and that, for word. And then deliver it naturally. Right. right? That's right. That's, that's exactly that's right. The, the tricky thing. And, and that really is, you know, essentially kind of our hippocampus, the organs that are responsible for memory in our brains, are doing push-ups like crazy, to, <laughs> you know, to, to really you know, kind of um, – incorporate all that information. I mean, uh, maybe uh, another way uh, to put it, uh, at least from my perspective, uh, you know, I think for, for an actor to play a brain surgeon on screen is, is probably reasonable. But for a neurosurgeon <laughs> to, to act, I think that's almost unreasonable. Uh, <laughs> right. It's been really difficult. Yeah, so our so brain is on overdrive. He's right. Yeah, that is right. That was Dr. Albert Kim alongside Dr. Eric Luthart talking about their upcoming production titled Brainworks. Barnes Jewish Hospital, in partnership with Nine Network of Public Media and the Washington University School of Medicine, will present the live theatrical performance in four one-act plays July 19th to the 21st at the Loretto Hilton Center for the Performing Arts on the campus of Webster University. Tickets are now on sale and can be purchased online via Eventbrite and barnesjewishhospital.com. Limited opening night VIP experience tickets are also available, which include an exclusive VIP reception directly after the performance with Drs. Kim and Luthart. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Jonathan All.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.